where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. So we could take some time to talk about all that this morning, but we, we aren't, we aren't going to do that. Uh, we could also talk about how the other prophets uh, accepted Elisha's new role. They saw him, right, part the waters, and they said, oh, he's taking the place of Elisha. And we could talk about that this morning, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. We could talk about Elisha's double portion and what exactly that meant, right? But we, we aren't going to talk. You want me to do it? Yeah. So, yeah. We could also talk about in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 2 how Elisha made bad water good water. In other words, he took Food Lion brand water and made it Aquafina. I'm just kidding. That's not really what he, what he did. Here's a couple of verses on this bad water. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha has spoke. So this water was very bad. It was killing people and there was miscarriages and there was all kind of health stuff that was happening. And throwing water and praying, Elisha healed the water. There's a lot in that particular thing. We could also talk about, if we continue to follow the story from where we left it last week, about Elisha's bald head. Okay? And in Scripture, it, it says this. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys apart. Yeah. This is, this is not only Aaron Sink's favorite verse in the Bible that he throws out to me every now and then. Earlier this week, Daniel Pierce, who's sitting right here on Facebook, put that, that up, right? And then, for the whole world to see and the government... He put this picture of his head up. Now, he says that that is a perfect head, but I want you to notice the imperfections. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just joking. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, not going not gonna, to, I'm looking behind me to make sure no she-bears are coming out. So, nonetheless, there you go. So, we could talk about that. I do want to mention this. Yes, Elijah cursed the boys. But no, Elijah did not call forth two she-bears to tear them apart. That was God. Right? So that is what you have to deal with in the passage. Not that Elisha, but that God did that and why. But we're not going to talk about that today. In fact, this is what we're going to talk about. Turning your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. Kings chapter 
And we'll begin reading with verse 9 of chapter 3. And this is what it says. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. When they had made a circle march of seven days or a continual march of second days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed him, followed them. So there's a couple questions as we jump into this. Why are these three kings together? Well, the king of Israel is named Jehoram, and uh, there is a king of Moab, uh, king of Moab, and the king of Moab decided not to pay tribute to the king of Israel, Jehoram, and so Jehoram decides to march out against Moab so that he will get his tribute, so that he will get the money that is due him, because that, that was the treaty that they had, that the king of Moab and the Moab nation would give tribute to the king of Israel. That is how it worked. Well, when it was refused, Jehoram marched out against him to get his money. The problem is, um, Jehoram's army was not large enough to defeat the Moabites. So he called down to one of his kinsmen, Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah, to help him in the march. And along the way, he also, he also asked the king of Edom to come with him on this march to go up against the Moabites to battle against them so that he could get the money that was due to him through tribute. So that is where we're at. They had walked continuously, it seems, or at least ongoing, for seven days. And at this point, there's no water and their animals need water. That's, that's the situation. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king, then one of, the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha the son of Saphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, and the king of Edom, sorry, went down to him. And Elijah said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have no, wait, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you or see you. In other words, he is telling the king of Israel, I would not even give you the time of day because of what you have done to the prophets of Israel. Earlier in this, in this passage, in chapter three, it tells us, that in verse 2, that the king of Israel, verse 2 says, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. In other words, here's a king that saw that his father had done incorrectly. He does something good in order to gain, I guess, um, placement with the God of Israel, he puts away the gods of Baal, but he doesn't turn away from his evil ways. He does this good thing as if it cancels out the bad stuff over here that he is doing. And this is not 
how God works. God doesn't work that way. One, there's grace and there's mercy, right? And so, and so we, we sin from time to time, right? And we ask God for forgiveness. But we do not say, I'm doing this good over here, therefore it cancels out this bad over here. That is not what the word of God says. God wants each and every person in this room to turn from their evil ways and follow him with 100% of their heart. That's what he wants. He wants all the evil pushed out and only good inside of you. God accepts you where you are, but he does not leave you where you are. He loves you too much for that. He wants you to be better. That is why he's giving you the Holy Spirit inside of your heart. That is why the Holy Spirit talks to you and communes to you from Scripture. And he is wanting you to become better than you are. So if you are here when he saves you, he is taking you on a journey to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ in perfection. Any evil that we hold on to is not what God wants for your life. And there isn't any type of ways, weights and balances for this stuff. You, you just follow God and get the evil out of your life. So Elijah here, he's pretty rough on the king of Israel, right? I mean, in our little accepting day that we live in our culture, right? I mean, he's pretty rough. Maybe he shouldn't judge that way. But, but he's absolutely correct in, in his assessment. But that's not really what the message is about. What I want to talk to you about today is, is a phrase that just jumped out from the Word of God into my mind. And it is an amazing phrase once you start thinking about the implications of it. And this is what it is. Look at verse 11. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants. I want you to notice that it's not the king of Israel. It's one of his servants. Answered the king, King Jehoshaphat. And this is what he said. Elisha, the son of Saphet, is here. Who poured water on the hands of Elijah? Who poured water on the hands of Elijah? Now, this isn't an idiom, okay? This isn't something that means that Elisha was the servant of Elijah, although it does imply that. That is not the only reason this is said. This is said because for some reason, this servant remembers something amazing about Elisha, and the thing that he remembers about Elisha is that he washed Elijah's hands. There was something about the way that Elisha washed Elijah's hands that stood out to this guy. I don't know where he saw it. I don't know at, at what circumstance he saw it, but at some point he saw Elisha washing the hands of Elijah and said, man, whew, that guy can really wash some hands, right? There's something a little bit different about that. Now, I want to give you a little demonstration. Quinn, come on up, bud. Come on up this morning. Um, I want you to notice this is, this is how they would wash hands because it was very, very dirty. Now, can you hold this for me a second? You wouldn't normally hold it, but here we go. Let me put this here. 
Okay, ready? So what would happen, I'll move this chair so other people see, is there would be some type of basin or it would be the ground, and the hands would be like this, like you'd put them on over a faucet. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, Elisha didn't have indoor plumbing. I don't know if you knew that or not. It just wasn't the way it was. So they would take a picture, not like this one. This is a Rubbermaid. Um, back then, they were more eco-friendly um, in their pots that they were making. Cows were still killing the ozone layer, but that's okay. <laughs> so here we are, and we're like this, and, and he would pour the water over his hands and then set the little container down. He would wash said hands with his own hands. Now, that means that Elisha's hands had to be clean, wash them. And he would dip it in the water that was poured in the basin, and he would bring it back out. And then to rinse, he would do the same thing again, except for he would take the rest of the water and pour it the rest of the way into the basin. Then he would take a towel, and he would dry his master's hands, right? Dry his master's hands. And then his master would be done. And he would take the basin and put it somewhere else. Good job. Thank you. So where he would take this water is they had these water jugs, or about this big, that had the unclean water in it. And he would take this water and pour the water into this jar that was pretty huge because it was dirty water. By the way, these are the same jars that Jesus used to turn water into wine. That means that Jesus turned dirty water into the best wine ever. But that is not what our message is on today. Though I really wish it was. Okay, so I'm not in control of that. So water in a basin, washing hands. So there was something about that simple process that stood out to this guy. What was it about that that, that stood out? So I want to unpack that a little bit. I want to do it this way, okay? Someone once said that disappointment is the gap between expectation and reality. Disappointment is the gap between expectation and reality. Elisha washed Elijah's hands for 10 years. I want you to soak that 10 years. His job was to wash Elijah's hands, to take care of Elijah, to do the little bitty servitude sort of servant, slavish sort of thing that you're supposed to do for Elijah. That was his job for 10 years. Now, when Elisha was called, Elijah came, tapped him on the shoulder, follow me. Elisha ran after him, was very excited, so excited, he burned everything he had, left everything behind, said goodbye to mom and dad, and followed Elijah with 100% of, of his heart, and his goal was to follow him and to serve him. In Elisha's mind, make no mistake, because he's not stupid, he is thinking, one day I will take Elijah's position. 
One day I will take his position. It was in his mind. He wasn't stupid. But for 10 years, he didn't do a miracle. He didn't do anything exciting. He brought Elijah his, his clothes in the morning. He walked with him around town into village and village. And he was basically the second-hand man to the best prophet in the country. And it was 10 years. Plenty of time for him to be disappointed. Plenty of time for him to be at the sixth year saying, Good night. I sacrificed everything to wash people's hands, to wash this guy's hands. What? It's so disappointing. God, when are you going to use me in a greater way? When are you going to use me in a greater way? I think a lot of Christians live their lives in disappointment. They have expectations that have not been fulfilled yet. So they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they begin to read the Bible, and and they begin to pray, and they begin to commune, but for some reason, life isn't panning out the way that they thought it would. They have expectations for maybe the vision that God would have for their life or the place that they would like to be, and somewhere in the middle, something has happened and, and has caused them not to get to their expectations. And so I think sometimes Christians get disappointed and down because life isn't going correctly. Life isn't going the way that you planned it. Life isn't going the way that you envisioned it. And right in the middle of this is, is a disappointment because you had great expectations here and disappointment here and reality is, is right here. And so you become disappointed. This disappointment hinders your faith. Disappointment in the moment because of of where you are and what you're having to do and where God has placed you and you don't really like it and you're washing people's hands and you don't really think that you're doing anything significant, at that moment you just feel disappointed because you feel like, I just wish God, I I just wish God would use me more. I, w- I wish he would take me and, and use me in a better way. But right now, all I'm doing is changing diapers in the nursery. And they stink. And I know the scripture that in a twinkling of an eye, everybody is going to be changed. But I don't think this is, this is what God was talking about. I, I think there's something greater, greater that's supposed to happen to me than just wiping. I don't think, you know, cleaning after a, a fellowship dinner is something, God, I don't know why, but this is what's in front of me. I'm just disappointed that I can't do something more, that I can't do something greater. The reason that Elisha, one of the reasons that Elisha's washing of Elijah's hands was so impactful was that Elisha had no disappointment. He wasn't disappointed in God. He wasn't disappointed at where he was. He was serving God at that moment, in that moment, with faith, with 100% of his being, doing the best job he can, could. The reason that he stood out when he washed somebody's hands is because he loved God and he knew that this is what God had for him to do that day, and he was going to do it to the best of his ability. For a Christian, 
There should not be the situation of disappointment in what you are doing. There should be expectation and reality. Expectation and reality. Elisha, by faith, washed Elijah's hands with the expectation one day he would take his place. He didn't whine and complain because it was taking too long. He didn't whine and complain because this is what he was doing and he was made for something better. He didn't whine and complain because it wasn't going fast enough. No, he stayed faithful, praised the Lord, did it to the best of his ability, and he stood out. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what God has you doing right now, but whatever it is, if it's beneath you, you need to do it to the best of your ability by faith. God has placed that in front of you right now for you to do to the best of your ability. You do that. And you wait on God to move you into the position that he wants you in in the future. God requires us to be faithful in the little things before he makes us faithful in the big things. Amen? That's the way that works. So I think it stood out for that reason. Here's another one. Um, do I have a picture of McDonald's? Yeah, McDonald's. I used to work for McDonald's um, back in the day. I started um, when I was 15 and a half years old at McDonald's, working the front. And in a year and a half, I was doing everything but counting money at the end of the day in the store. I, I could do everything, make biscuits, everything. And um, one day, the person that was supposed to, I'm not going to tell the story. I'm going to stop right there. Anyway, I used to work at McDonald's, okay? And McDonald's is interesting to me. So um, a couple of years ago, you would go to McDonald's and you would place your order, right? And then the lady or the man behind the counter would say, would you like to donate a dollar to stop obesity in America? And you have to understand, in my past, I would go to McDonald's and order the laxative burger combo. So for this to come the other way, I was like, are you, are you kidding? Are you kidding me about this? Are you kidding me? And um, so, they, so they would ask that for I guess, I guess if you donated a dollar, it was for the destruction of McDonald's and or maybe they were raising money to put skinny doors in McDonald's. Come on, that was good. Indoors. Anyway, a busy year. So, it, so it's kind of weird. So when you work at McDonald's, I mean, there, there is, it's kind of it's odd. There's a difference between wiping the tables, right, in the lobby, and serving. I actually moved up to where I was doing birthday parties for kids and stuff, and it, it was just a lot of fun. But there's, there's a stigma to McDonald's. By the way, I'll, I'll tell you this. McDonald's, unless you're going to be a manager or some type of general manager or something, is a stepping stone to your next place. That, that's what that job is. It's not a career. You should not visualize your life to make a career at the drive through window at McDonald's. It's a stepping stone to somewhere else, right? It's, it's not your landing place. But, but this is a job that's kind of, I don't know, I don't know. It's just, it's just, I don't know. I mean, how many of you would like to go back and work 40 hours a week at McDonald's? 
Any any takers? There's nobody in the room, right? Why why would you want to go back to work at McDonald's? I think that if you are somebody that works at McDonald's, you work at Chick-fil-A, or you work for a business, or you own your own business, you do it all to the best of your ability. That's what I think. I think that that if you're if you're at McDonald's and if if you're at the drive-through window and it's something that you feel like is beneath you but you're still doing you do it to the best of your ability because that's what God has given you to do on that particular day. I expect when when I walk into McDonald's to have people um, act like that they're Chick-fil-A employees. Right? That that there there is something that they value about what they're doing and they're doing it to the best of their ability. I get discouraged when I see Christians that just want to get by. They, they're Christians, but they just want to get by. They're not all in. They're about 25% in, and they do service with 25% of their being, and they just want to get by. I get very discouraged when I see Christians that have jobs and have opportunities to really shine in their business, to really shine for their neighbors, to really shine, but, but they kind of have a lackadaisical sort of, yeah, this is, this is just what I do, but it's really not what I'm thrilled about, and, and I'm really disappointed that I'm doing this right now, and you can just feel it. You can feel the negative vibe. I get very disappointed at Christians that constantly complain about the place they work, constantly complain about their boss, constantly complain about what they're doing, and they constantly complain and complain and complain and complain and complain. It's just, it's just discouraging. Because God has given you that job to do at that moment. And you should do it to 100% of your ability, to the best of your ability. It doesn't matter if the people around you are crappy. It doesn't matter. I don't know if you know this or not, but people that are unsaved should not be outperforming you at work. They shouldn't be. You have the Holy Spirit of Almighty God inside of you, the power of the God that created you inside of you, the giftedness to do whatever job that he's placed before you at that moment. You do that with 100% of your ability, and you don't let someone that's unsaved, that doesn't have the Spirit, that doesn't have that power, outperform you. You do it with all your being and all your glory, and forget this stuff about disappointment. Do your job by faith. When you do things to the best of your ability, the thing that it has to be in your mind is that I'm doing this thing for the glory of God. I'm at the drive through window for the glory of God. I'm at my business for the glory of God. I'm doing this for his glory. There is something else going on than my pride, what I want, what I desire. There's something else going on, and I'm supposed to be about the glory of God and doing things for the glory of God. I love my kids for the glory of God. I park cars in the parking lot for the glory of God. If the world would see a group of individuals that was doing things for the glory of God, like Christians, it would be the second reason people would be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two. Number one is the Holy Spirit. You can't, you, you can't do anything about him. You're not going to get the number one position. He's going to draw people to Christ. But if you would live your life the way that you're supposed to live, to the glory of God, to the best of your ability, 
people would be drawn to you, drawn to Christ, drawn to something greater than who they are. Elisha was known for his washings of hands because he did it by faith and he did it for the glory of God. So here's the next thing. Check this out in chapter 3, verse 12. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. The word of the Lord is with him. There's a correlation between the word of God working in you and your quality of service to him. There's a correlation to the word of God living and changing your life and the way that you approach life outside of church, right? At your job, in your family. There's a correlation with the word of God working on your heart and how you treat people. There's a correlation between the word of God working in your life and the absence of disappointment. If you are really allowing the word of God to work in your life, you are not disappointed. You realize that God is working with you today and you're going to go to those challenges today and do them for his honor and his glory. It's all about him. It's not about your disappointment. I am not really sure why Christians should be disappointed when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose the third day, and is going to take you to heaven. I, I just don't get it. How could you possibly be disappointed in something? It, it, it boggles my mind. Absolutely boggles my mind. So the word of God working in you, disappointment isn't there. There's a correlation between the word of God working in your life and your attitude in serving. There's a correlation between the two. Word of God working in your life, you have a better attitude when you're serving. There's a correlation between the word of God working in your life and the service thing. So here's a couple things. Some people, some Christians, serve God to check a box. I did it, and they do it to feel good about themselves. That's not the appropriate attitude. Some people serve to gain acceptance of other people. That's not the appropriate attitude. The people that work for the glory of God because the word of God is working in them that is really doing it for the right reason. Everybody tracking? Yeah. So faith for the glory of God, he did the little things to the best of his ability. Now, to wrap this up. Okay? To wrap this up. Um, I need, yeah, Thomas to come up. And we're going to do a responsive reading. I'm going to ask my son to come back up. Oh, there you are. Great. So we're going to practice this responsive reading, and this is a, this is a passage of Scripture from John. And it kind of introduces us to what we're about to do. So read along with Thomas. Ready? Go. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. The interesting thing is that Jesus 
got up from his table and began to wash his disciples' feet. It's an amazing thing. (laughs) The apostles were not ticklish. (laughs) Okay. He washed his disciples' feet, right? You got it? King of glory, king of glory, the God who created these people, washed the disciples' feet. Now, we're going to do the next response reading, and I want you to do it a little bit louder, okay? Do a little bit louder with him, because I'm having trouble hearing you. So if you could do that for me, that'd be great. Go ahead. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over thee and those in authority over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Now I know that Elijah, Elisha asked for a double portion. I know he did. I think that's amazing. And I know that Elijah did a lot of great, newsworthy things. Absolutely amazing things that people talked about that made the news and they were talking about Elijah. And I know Elisha asked for a double portion of that. He wanted to be greater than Elijah. I know that. But it wasn't for pride purposes that he asked for the double portion. It wasn't because he wanted to make a name for himself that he asked for the double portion. The only reason you and I know about Elisha is because he's in Scripture and God put him in Scripture. It is not because of all the wondrous things and the newsworthy things that he did. It's not. It's just because God wanted to put him there as a contrast to Elijah who was newsworthy. Elisha was a servant. So here are these apostles, and they're talking about who's the greatest, who, who's the one that should be number one, who's the one should lead this thing, and they're talking about all this, and the king of kings, lord of lords, the true leader is the one that got down on his knees, and he washed the apostles' feet. The greatest man in the room is the one that knelt to serve. So now read this passage of scripture. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments, and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now keep it on that verse. Nobody is too big. Nobody is too big. Turn to your neighbor and say, nobody's too big. Nobody's too big. I think sometimes in life we get this 
this air about us that we are, we are it and, and, and we, are, we are in control and people should serve us. And we might not say it in that regard, but we act like it to other people that they, you know, they're back and forth. You know, it's me. No one is greater. No one is greater. The servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. No one is bigger. That's the key to doing things to the greatest of your ability. If you go with that concept in your mind, that that no one is bigger and I'm not bigger than anyone else, and that I'm supposed to be a servant just like Jesus was a servant. If I go with that attitude, I'm not disappointed. I do things for God for the, with the best of my ability. I make sure that I shine when I do it, not intentionally, but I look back and I wind up shining because I'm doing it for him. There is something different about a person that loves Jesus and do, does things for his glory that doesn't think he's all that in a bag of barbecue potato chips. There is something about Christians who know they're not greater than the person next to them. They're just saved by grace. Something about Christians that know that they're not better than the person next to them. They just know that they've received the same mercy from the Jesus who washed the disciples' feet. And if Jesus can serve people in such a way that he washes their feet without any expectation in return. You and I should serve other people without any expectation from them in return because that is not our purpose. Our purpose is to be faithful with the task that God has given us today and do it for his honor and his glory. This is not a competition. It's not a competition of who's the greatest. Because Jesus has already won that one. He's already won that one. So the next time you decide not to pick up your underwear off the floor for your wife so that she doesn't have to do it when she does the laundry, and yes, I just typecasted, pick it up and help her out and serve her. The next time that your husband leaves his dishes on the table and he goes somewhere else to do something, don't go out to the garage and yell at him for leaving his stuff back there. Just pick up the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. Be a teammate. Be a servant. Don't act like you're greater than he is. And guys, don't act like you're greater than she is. No one is too big to serve the other one. If you want your marriages to go well, you're going to serve each other. If you want your uh, job to go well, you're going to serve the people at your job. If, you're, if you want your neighbor relations to go well, you are going to serve the people around you and you're going to do it for the glory of Almighty God and not for your promotion. Not so that you will go up the ladder. Because expectation and reality have to come together for a Christian. Disappointment cannot be in the middle. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson from Elisha's life.